Hi guys, welcome back to my show, A Different Life Story, with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day for an interview, and I have got the honor and pleasure of meeting a fellow inmate from seven years ago, who was admitted with me to Capri Hospital on the same day and the same intake. And we were both wounded animals licking our wounds. And it was, it was, we were a sorry sight. And it is so beautiful to have Denise Clowley here with me in person, beaming up from beautiful New Zealand to beautiful New Zealand. And Denise, it's so great to have you on my show. <laughs> Thank you, Stefan. Thank you. Oh, oh no, it's, it's beautiful. It's so amazing. Denise and I, as I said, we were, we were admitted to Capri Hospital on the same day. And I remember sitting there waiting to be processed and sitting around this table. And there was another girl I remember. Uh, and we were both, we were all sort of uh, weird, trying to find our 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 place there try to sort of keep it together a roller coaster of emotions and it was reflected in our eyes which must have looked like like deers and caught in the headlights um can you remember much of that day you know, it, it, just with with you saying, you know, seven years ago, and 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 you know, ironically, you and I are actually talking now. You know, as we are in life now, um, you know, that much later. Um, yes, I, I can remember it, but I only remember pieces of that day. I I do remember you because somebody told me that that somebody else was being admitted on the same day as me. But to be honest, I was off my face. Mm. Uh, I'd been drinking all morning and I'd, I'd, you know, flown up. I'd actually sculled the last of my water bottle at the airport um, <laughs> before throwing up in the rubbish bin and, and, and getting in the car to go to what I <laughs> hoped was my, my last rehab. And so, yeah, I, I think I was just, I knew what was coming in regards to my detox and what was coming towards me in the, in the next few days. So, I, I suppose, you know, I was just in no man's land. I was just, you know, thank God I'm here, but what next? <laughs> I, I suppose just really, really, it scared's not the, because the, the, I knew what was coming, but, you know, God, what have I done? What have I actually done? I've let my bottle go, and now for 28 days, I can't get to it. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, cr crazy, isn't it? You know, crazy is what it seems mm. that, one of your first thoughts in the first few days of being in a rehab is what the hell have I done? Exactly, exactly right. You know? And I guess most of us go through that, isn't it? Uh, but you you had a bit of a head start there because this was not your first rodeo. Uh, and indeed, I have had the pleasure of reading your book. Now, I know you've got a copy there. Show it to us. Come on. Here's a copy. That's it here. Put yeah. me a glass of life. Guys, yeah. this is beautiful reading. This is Denise's story. Uh, and it it filled in some of the blanks that I didn't know about you. I remember you saying you were commenting about previous rehabs in a not such a nice way. And that I were forever stuck in the back of my mind. 
and reflected to me how lucky I was that my wife had admitted me to Capri and not to another maybe court mandated yeah. uh, session somewhere. Um, and yeah, it just shows how different recovery programs can be. But before we go there, let's go a little yeah. bit further back. When you were yeah. a little girl, did you want to be an alcoholic? <laughs> hey, it was Maya my first Nelly. thought. I used to take my dummy out and go, hmm, when I that's get older, this is right. what I want to do. That's right. Can you yeah, dip that in some, in some vodka, please? Yes, <laughs> go <I>, on. <laughs> you know, and, and that is just a crazy thing how, how misunderstood this illness is. Is <laughs> one of the things I always say to people is, do you think you woke up, you know, or do you think your son or daughter woke up when they were younger and said, well, when I grow up, I want to be a drug addict, you know, and shoot up and, you know, <laughs> Yeah, anyway, no, it's, um, it, it is, it's just, it's, it's, it's the misinterpretation of, of, of how, you know, we all, we all end up as, you know, this is not what we wanted. This is not what we knew was coming. Um, you know, I, I suffered, uh, you know, really, really bad anxiety issues in regards to, uh, I didn't think I had anxiety. I just used to have panic attacks. You know, I didn't know what anxiety really was. Um, I, I knew that I was overloaded. I knew my brain and physically and mentally I was overloaded with what I put and gathered in my life. But I didn't understand where suddenly these panic attacks were coming from, where as I, I couldn't, um, I would be in a supermarket, always a supermarket, and all of a sudden just feel like I was about to have a heart attack, physically feel that I was about to drop on the floor from a heart attack. And that was my only indication that there was something actually wrong with inside my mentality uh, how of old my were, life. How old were you when that sort of first time manifested? Early 30s, oh. early 30s. So up to then, I wasn't a drinker. I, I drank, but um, I would only drink uh, in weekend, when we were going out, not even weekends. Mm. You know, my first baby was born carried him all the way through my 19th year and he was born just after I turned 20 and I didn't touch a drop of alcohol. I, I got married in that time, didn't touch a drop of alcohol at my wedding. Um, all through my early 20s, I, I, start, I started to socially drink, but only when people were with me. So it wasn't into my early 30s where I had piled a lot of stuff into my life that I thought I was coping with did I start to feel the effects of panic attacks? And did I find that a glass of wine actually stopped them? And it was as simple as that. A glass of wine, chuck back, scull a glass of wine, and I could breathe again. And everything was okay in the world. And that was simply how it happened for me. But what was actually underneath was a whole lot of other shit, you know, that I, I didn't acknowledge or hadn't processed. And you know that 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 simple act for me personally led me to the door of death. It led me to lose everything, absolutely everything in my life, including my hair and my teeth. Uh, <laughs> that was the last of it. But everything that mattered to me was gone by what I was doing back then by just trying to make myself feel better. And 
what you're saying is so true, isn't it? We all start drinking because it gives us something. It is not just, I mean, it's it's not the nicest stuff. It burns on the tongue. It is sort of, it's often an acquired taste. Uh, so you can't really tell me that, ooh, this, this fermented uh, grape juice is really the nicest thing ever. No, 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 no. It is something that fulfills a need and it makes you feel different. And that's why we drink. And that's why the alcohol industry is so powerful because they harness that feel good factor. Um, and it's, yeah, we are, we are up against a huge, huge challenge there because not only for a good alcoholic, our brain, our reptilian brain is so wanting that dopamine fix. And that dopamine fix, guys, trust me, when you're an alcoholic, that is overdeveloped. I'm a, a super responder and so is Denise. We are basically, we are so full of dopamine when we go to drink. It's beautiful, at least at the start. Later on, it's all so helter-skelter and crap in our neurotransmitters. You, you, you are, you're no longer getting high. You're just about making it through the day. And I think that's such mm -hmm. a different, different, different life. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, the, 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 sorry, the, the, you know, when you talk about dopamine, I, I say that I think that should be talked about in schools. Um, you know, the, the dopamine, that the, the, you know, the motivation, memory and reward systems in our brains mm -hmm. Uh, that, that you know lead to, to to send dopamine rushing, knowing that we're going to get something that's going to make us feel better. Generally, throughout all addic addiction, all, all addiction, you know, whether it's food or shopping or sex or gambling or whatever, you know, the dopamine um, that that's occurring in, within our brains, that neurotransmitter, is the key to to what sends us to back to keep doing what we're doing over and over again. You know, and they talk about it being, this is how, you know, mankind survives, yeah. is because of that memory, motivation, reward, dopamine system, you know. Um, so true. It is of, so, highest, of highest importance. I could not agree more with you. Yeah. But we, of course, especially when you're, when you're an alcoholic or an addict, then you just love the instant gratification you were yeah. saying you you know one drink down or probably two free drinks when you measure an alcoholics class we never have small classes <laughs> <I forget>. <laughs> <laughs> so yes <laughs> would you like sorry i just have to i i've, I've always oh, big this is my water bottle <laughs> ah. <laughs> Uh, see, so, we, we are yeah. always overachievers, aren't we? <laughs> always. <laughs> That's my coffee, okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, see, it never stops. It never, never stops. <laughs> Perfect. So that no, that's us. That's us in a nutshell. Yeah, so I think it is. Yeah. And we need to accept it. And and we do. Yeah. We do. Uh, we do can laugh about it. And but I'm sure that many people out there who are listening because they might be still drinking, they cringe uh, because we are holding them the mirror in front of their face and, and yeah. they say shit. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, you know, once once you start going to different bottle shops in sequence yeah. to make sure yeah. it doesn't yeah. look so bad. Yeah. Warning sign. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Once you start um, in the middle of the night 
going with your bottles before recycling day, going yeah. to various others' neighbors and <laughs> dumping them in there to not make it so apparent that you're yeah. an empty wine bottle collector. Um, mm. Then um, warning sign. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. I know it's it's all all those little things that um, you know. I remember in the end, yeah. and you know, yeah, you, you say it now with humor because you really, if you can't laugh at stuff, you know, you've got you you've got a bit of an issue but I used to go to different supermarkets but I'd go I mean I had to go first thing in the morning and because you know I needed my supplies because the six bottles I got the day before were gone and so I would go in and I still had the the thought process of I can't let the people in the supermarket know what I'm doing so I would buy bacon and eggs or a roast because that's something you put on for the day or a corned beef because corned beef, you, you boil throughout the day. And I would slap the newspaper and, and the bacon and eggs and this roast down on the counter with six bottles of wine saying, oh, I did a party tonight, blah, blah, blah. I would, you know, literally leave the, leave the supermarket. I'd normally go to the toilets first and scull half a bottle of wine so I could actually get in the taxi to get back to the house. But I would dump all the food. I would dump all the food in a rubbish bin. Because all I wanted was the wine. Mm. But I didn't want the person in the supermarket to know what I was doing. <laughs> I mean, it's like, so, you know, these days, you, yeah, <laughs> these days you get it delivered. It's a whole different story, but true, crazy, true. crazy. True. You're still trying to keep your, your perseverance, you know, your, your, not your perseverance, trying to keep your, your dignity. Mm. Still, still always trying to keep your dignity intact. Isn't that, yeah. Bloody awful. Exactly. But it takes energy and so much energy oh. and and really the, the hiding uh, of it all. You're hiding that you're hungover in the morning. You're then hiding that you're buying the drink. You're hiding that you're drinking. You're hiding that you're drunk. You're hiding the evidence thereafter. Mm. And oh, it is, oh, it is so bizarre. This is such an all encompassing life where what 80 90 percent of your day you're involved with your drugs or your drinking or your your addiction bloody hell it's exhausting ah, it's just, i can't i can't actually imagine how i did it it was with hindsight it sends shivers down my brain because it's such a wasted life now i can say that then i was in the middle of it and yeah. There was no way, mind you, mind you, there were there were such bad days when I was so hungover that I was still sick, physically sick in the evening. And uh, when I was, was days when I knew I was not at work, so I let rip. And then I was so hungover that I said, no, that's it today, last day. That's it. Never I will drink again. And then I actually went to bed and surprise, surprise, I actually slept not too bad because finally my body had no alcohol in and, and mm. it was not yet in, in any kind of mild withdrawal or so. And so the next morning I wake up, hey, I actually feel good. See, I did it. Mm. I did it my first day of sobriety. Mm. Eight hours later, the latest, I would be hitting the supermarket uh, after mm. work and buying some more drink. Hey, mm. because... Mm. You know, you need to celebrate. You need to celebrate that day. <laughs> I mean, also that that is that is a that that's what we tell ourselves. But you know, as we both know, what is actually happening 
is your is your brain is actually working on a whole different level altogether. Your your you know your subconscious and your conscious minds are two two diff- completely different things, and and it's actually telling you, hey, you need to feel better. Mm. <clears throat> you know, only only a day or so ago, I was feeling really good. So memory, reward, motivation are all telling every you know they're all working together and sending you back to the bottle store. It's not an excuse. It's it's the science behind it. Mm. You know, you just can't, no matter how hard you think you're not going to do it today, for some reason you go and do it. And and, and this is why you do. Mm. Um, but, yeah, when, like you said, when you're caught in the throes of it, Stefan, it's a whole different ball game because, you know, you just, as much as you desperately want to get out of this uh, without intervention and, and, and connection and, and help available to you, your chances of getting out of it are incredibly slim. Yet, if you had the right intervention and the right buy-in, if someone can convince you that you're now on the right path and you actually start taking the right steps yourself, I would say 80, 90% chance that you can expect to get better. So these yeah. are the two extremes that we Absolutely. are dealing with, isn't it? Yeah. And, Absolutely. And you are the living example because mm. you spend three quarters of a year in rehab, in one rehab facility mm. where it was, well, officially forbidden to drink, um, but you guys got nicely around that at times. So tell us a bit about that, because you would think, I'm going one step further, uh, a while back on Quora, someone asked the question with regards to uh, an expectation of, can you get better? Is there actually, you know, what's your chance? And another question from another uh, Quora member was, um, what, uh, why do people still go to AA when it is such a proven uh, failing thing? And I thought, hang on, no, no, I need to answer that. And as I discussed a bit the ideal rehab and those kind of things, but we need to look at that here with you and you're the right person to ask. So tell us a bit about your your previous rehab experiences. The first one I went to was, it, it was, you know, well-organized. Uh, it's just that I didn't want to be there. I didn't think I had a problem. So I, I was kind of pushed into going. I, you know, I agreed to it and, and thought maybe this is it. Maybe this will be the, the way out for me. It was still, I was still married and, it, you know, the relationship was still semi together. Mm. Uh, but we had other issues on the outside of my drinking. But however, uh, so it was a government run CADS program and it was run by a trust called Cunique in the lower heart area. And it was amazing. My doctor, uh, who, who actually had moved, to Wellington, um, so I kind of, you know, was able to continue seeing him after he, we both left Queenstown. He arranged it for me, and I had this. All of a sudden, I was going into this house that was five, six other people, a twenty-four hour staff, and, and every second or third day, we were going to a, to an outpatients program with CADS, Community Alcohol and Drug Services. And, you know, in the program, I can't put any of it down. It, it, it was nine weeks um, and, it, you know, it was we, outings in the weekend. It was a beautiful home. We all cooked, uh, you know, we collectively cooked and, and I had a break from my life. And mm-hmm. the, the program at CADS, once again, taught you about what addiction was and how you got there. Didn't talk about mental health. It just talked about addiction. So... 
uh, it was all it was all good for me learning what addiction was, what drugs and alcohol did for me. But that did that that was just talking about the band aid. It wasn't talking about the wound, which I later understood where's where real recovery starts mm. is is revealing the traumas and your wounds and and processing those, letting those little fuckers go. Uh, so that was my first rehab. I was only two weeks out of that before I started drinking again because really the anxiety attacks and everything, had, even though they'd subsided, hadn't gone altogether. And I just knew that I would feel better if I drank again. Mm. My second one was under the Drug and Alcohol Act of 1966. And my parents and a couple of my girlfriends had been advised that this was this was what they needed to do for me. It was a number of years later, 2011 and uh, 2012. And... Um, so I was placed under the act. I stood up in court not knowing what I was doing in front of a judge and all I had to say was yes to whatever was going to happen to me, which I didn't know what that was. Mm. And the next minute I was in a detox centre and then in a rehab, which was just a holding cell for, for the dregs of alcoholism and drug addicts in New Zealand, dregs of alcoholics. Horrendous place. And I write very detailed about it in my book because it's not to to uh, harm them I say it's to expose them that this I needed to expose these treatment centers mm. treatment centers that, that don't exist mm. actually do exist within New Zealand mm. so I ended up there for nearly a year over a year actually um yeah that 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 was horrendous so I then I went to Capri you know a number of years later I suppose where I gain my knowledge from is not just my own personal experiences, but it's the experiences of a lot of my clients that I deal with. But it's, it's, it's I saw it from the inside. I saw rehabs on different levels from the inside. So I know what works and what doesn't. And I remember you describing it, that you were the expert pepper picker and that you did, you were basically farm slave labor. Just when you described it to me, then I, I, I immediately fought back at a forced labor uh, situation in, in Nazi Germany, where, you know, the French were just dragged onto the fields in Germany to harvest. And it sounded a bit like that, in all fairness. You had once a week when you were lucky, you had a bit of a, of a, of a two hour input. Uh, and the rest of the week, and and when, with input, I mean uh, a pseudo class or a pseudo support uh, thing. And the rest of the time, you were essentially out there on the fields and making money, whilst the owner of the business were paid money from the government. So, an interesting financial setup, I must say. Yeah. Uh, mm. It's run under the Nova Trust, and so there's a, a huge. Um, horticultural system running there, whereas there is massive glass houses, greenhouse tunnel houses that have uh, grow green or grow peppers, capsicums, mm. and cucumbers and baby beet out in the field. Mm. And so what what we did is, you know, they, they advertise it as a garden, market garden that you come and work in. And I thought, oh, how wonderful you're gonna go and work in market gardens. They put you on the benefit, then they take your money. They take that money from the benefit and they give you $40. That's it. 
then they get paid by the government and then you go and, and work the tunnel houses and the market gardens, but you also do all the cooking and the cleaning. So, and in return, in return, you get an AA meeting, which is in-house. It's in-house, so there's 60 other inmates in there with you, all looking at each other, thinking, well, I'm not about to fucking open up and tell you anything, so I, I live with you. And then you get a person who is first or second year AOD student taking a, a class for 15 minutes out of a textbook that nobody's listening to, uh, and, and, and then you get once once a week, once every couple of weeks, a counsellor who's actually not qualified asking you what your problems are. Well, you know, and, and you can't leave. You actually can't leave. You're, uh, you're, you're locked in there. You're under an act. And, and you know, I, look at, I looked at me and I thought, and, and everybody else that was in there with me, I'm just a fucking lover of fine wines. That's all I've done. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, bloody killed somebody or, or broken the law in any way. I just like to drink because it makes me feel better. And here I am mm. in 82 acres right across the road from the women's and men's prisons in Christchurch. And, and you, you know, it was just, it, I was in my early, my early 40s and I'm just like, oh, holy shit, what's happened to me? What what the hell is... But the, the, I think the worst, the worst part about it was is you were treated like you were nothing. You were treated like you were bad. You, you weren't you weren't a person. You had no rights. You know, I write about the morning I went to work, you know, got up, I was in the kitchen by the stage and I, I went, I'd been working in the kitchen for probably a couple of months because they figured out I was, I was a good cook. I raised, you know, five kids so I could cook well. I went to work and, and the the chef wasn't there, the, the main cook. She was pretty much the only paid person in the in the kitchen. And so I went to go down and get the keys from the office to open up the fridges and said, you know, she hasn't turned up for work. And they said, oh, no, we just got a phone call. She died last night. But can you take care of the kitchen for the day? And that was it. That was it. And the woman I've been working beside for the last few months, you know, it just she's in her mid-30s and died in her sleep. We asked a few days ago, if we could, a few days later, if we could go to a funeral. No, you're not. You're not allowed to. Whoa. Why? Because I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, disgusting, disgusting. And and you know it was, even though it was, you know, a private organisation, it was government funded, mm. and 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 it, it literally I, out of all of the girls that I were and males, but the girls that were in my wing for that period of time. There's only about 20% of them survived. The, the rest of them are all dead now. No, no word of a lie. Mm. Now, I, the reason anyway. the reason I'm asking that all is or I'm letting you talk about that is not to to destroy someone's reputation or to be mean, but it is so important because when you are down and out you are not choosing you're not doing uh due diligence in researching your rehab centers you are essentially grasping any straw and if someone says there's a rehab center that's where i want you to go then you say okay hopefully hopefully you say yes now in my case that was exactly the case i had no idea where i would go capri didn't mean a thing to me it i didn't know anything about it until i learned by doing by being there 
and it turns out that was in a I was in a top-notch facility that saved my life but it could have been different I could have been on your work farm and then maybe I would be dead now and that is so sad so it's the roll of the dice there are many many very passionate people out there who do beautiful beautiful work mm. and helping us addicts but at the same token there are charlatans and money makers and and pieces of shit out there um that uh can make the chance of your rec a positive recovery disappear mm -hmm. because they, what was the first thing you did when you came out of out of your rehab there Oh, well, the first thing I did was I drank, so I can't remember anything after that. <laughs> exactly, exactly my point, you, you know, know, no surprise. You know, but both both times, you know, it's the stories in my book, but I did escape there. I did, I did escape and I, I ran, I ran for a month, five weeks, and, and I was tracked by the police for that period of time. So I wrote about that because I think it's something, you know, that I felt that, you know, had to be kind of highlighted that this is how how you can get caught in, in shit situations mm. uh, when all you're really wanting and all your family ever wanted was to find you the best possible mm. hope for help, you know, that, that, that they were being advised this would be a place that I was going to get help mm. and, and instead, of, instead it was a place that I lost my soul. Mm. And so... Yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, it, it, all of that had a lot to do with where I went on to in life after Capri. Um, mm. But choosing the right place is so important. Sadly for us here in New Zealand, choosing any place, you know, to get into, into a, a place full stop mm. is scarce. Mm. Uh, Yet, and no. Um, I thought it was scarce because uh, when I sort of talked and listened around, there don't, there don't appear to be many, many places around. Yet if you actually put into Google or into Google Maps somewhere, addiction services, etc., you get 240 pings in New Zealand. So you think, hang on, what's going on here? So there are a lot of people out there who are just flying underneath the radar and I cannot comment whatsoever on their qualifications or on their, their capabilities of their setups, etc. I think that the, what we have heard here from you is the extreme version over there, the slave labor camp. Yeah. Um, I think now we owe it to Guy Smith and his team at Capri Hospital, which regrettably is no longer in existence in the way it was then, uh, about the beautiful setup that they have created and that they did. So okay, I, I start off with that because I, I will I put that into into my book. Uh, the I've, I've written my steps to sobriety, um, and in that I I tell my story and and many vignettes from that. But I've also written about the, um, the, my arrival in Capri on that in another book uh, called From Breakdown to Wake Up, where we have got 16 authors. We all share our transformations. And in there, I described me being driven up by my wife to Auckland, to Capri, 
And that was in its own right weird because here I was uh, always the breadwinner. I ran a large pain clinic. I traveled tens of thousands of miles, kilometers uh, to go to large towns in the North Island to run the pain clinics. So I was always in a driver's seat. And it was so such a such a good analog, such a good good picture that I was now in the passenger seat. My wife was driving me to the rehab, and then we arrived there, and it was in the middle of a suburbia, and it was the end of a cul-de-sac, and you sort of think, what the fuck? Where am I going here? Uh, and you walk in, there's sort of an entranceway with sort of plants left and right, and suddenly there was this this weird voice there. And um, once I was hooked, now I am free. And you think, what, what, what? And there was this wooden, a wooden, uh, wooden alligator there. And a wooden alligator in his open mouth had this, this kind of, of uh, speaker in there. And was, it was triggered every time you walk in. And it was basically, there was a weird thing. It was a, it was a pun on hooked, uh, now I'm free and it's basically Captain Hook and the, the Peter Pan story. But it was, it was this kind of, what the fuck am I going into here? <laughs> and then you walk in as a little courtyard and you walk into this big glass covered hall. And there's this massive jacuzzi in the middle with four big golden lions around squirting water. And again, you think, what the fuck? <laughs> and it was one impression after the other, but it was it was such a crazy start. I guess it reflected my crazy life. It was, yeah. I actually said, yeah, okay, that, so what? Okay, the alliance, so what? <laughs> but then, then we too sat there and trying to spend the time whilst we were being processed. And I remember us sort of discussing uh, liver function tests and and yeah. you, uh, you sort of said, what, how, what's your number? Oh, that's, that's uh, come on, that's rookie numbers. I've got it. <laughs> All that kind of shit. You think, my God. So that was, that was my first day. And what happens is, is all quite bizarre. You try to keep your dignity and then the nurses say, let me take your, your luggage for you. And that translates not into them bringing it into the room. They basically then frisk you. They frisk your luggage and looking for drugs, for alcohol, because we addicts try to sneak stuff in. Mm -hmm. So I hadn't, but many others have. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so. yeah. That was bizarre. So yeah. slowly but surely, people were beginning to strip away the masks from me and from you. So that was my first impressions of Capri. And I I wasn't sure if I wanted to run a mile or if I thought, hey, I'm there or what. So you keep going from there. What were then sort of the next highlights? Where Where was Capri different to other places for you? They looked at me as a person, uh, you know, that, that yeah, that instantly was the first time that I felt that I was, I'm not, I'm not you know, there were certainly people along the way and other treatment centres that I've been to that treated me uh, as, as Denise, you know, as somebody who was, you know, the somebody who more of, you know, what's, what broke, not what are you doing, but what broke to get you here. And that that was instantly the impression I got from Capri was the fact that, 
whoever was running this joint knew their shit right. because they were fully, you know, fully immersed in, in the treatment of mental health underlying issues rather than actually the addiction or, or, or the substance that you were using uh, instead. It was all about finding out how it went wrong, you know, all those beginning stages of what made you do this to begin with. And it was the first time I'd come across that. And by now we're talking about 10 years of different, because I've been to a lot of outpatient things as well, before, rather than, you know, as well as inpatient. It was the first time somebody looked behind the person who was standing there, you know, figuratively speaking with a glass of wine and a bottle in your hand, turned around, looked behind that and said, hey, Denise, what happened? Exactly. You no, know, whatever's happened, let's let's try and uncover a bit of this. And exactly. Let's try and find a way for you not to need to go back to it. But it was a very systematic approach. Um, you came yeah. in and they did all the safety, the security, and, and made sure that you didn't bring anything in. Then I had a very in-depth uh, consultation with a doctor um, who was looking at me from a medical point of view mm -hmm. and who was making sure that I'm safe. There was always the, the uh, issue of the detox initially. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the question is, would I go into a withdrawal? How, do I, how mm -hmm. will I be managed, etc.? Mm -hmm. And uh, they did that very well. They mm -hmm. kept my dignity uh, in place, which I found beautiful. So this woman, the, the doctor there, she managed to tread that fine line between treating me as a colleague, yet mm. treating me as a patient. Mm. And she did that exceptionally well. Mm. So that was a great start. And then, as you say, then suddenly they started peeling away the the masks that we were working so hard to keep up. Mm. But parallel to that, from the word go, they were modeling a new life. So it mm. was not just focus on the shit, but actually it was from the word go. It's now 12 o'clock, we drop everything, we come together, we do a little chant um, and uh, do maybe the, the, the serenity prayer and then it says bon appetit, and then you go in there and you have lunch. Like mm. it or lump it, it's 12 o'clock, you have mm. the habit of having lunch. And the lunch mm. was superb because we had our chef there in Capri and she was doing such beautiful, healthy food because mm. that was clear. I mean, we alcoholics, mm. you were saying you lost your hair, you lost your teeth, um, mm. all those mm. kind of things from malnutrition. From the word go in Capri, we had the best food possible mm -hmm. and there were no limitations. There was, mm -hmm. you eat what you want, you go for mm -hmm. it. How mm -hmm. beautiful was that? Mm -hmm. So therefore it was this modeling behavior that stood out to me. From the word go, you had to take part in activities which were designed to show you a different life. And they did so very well. Mm -hmm. So I was, but that blew me away, the nutrition, yay. Mm -hmm. What other things? Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they had everything. They definitely had everything that, uh, that, that, that gave you a foundation. You know, good food, good nutrition, mm. uh, you know, exercise, mm. being able to walk around the basin, mm. um, you know, good sleep patterns, mm. you know, just even, you know, having melatonin every night mm. to help you sleep. Mm. You know, the nurses, uh, but I think, you know, that was the foundation physically, but mentally, mentally it was the people 
who I've met many like that since. It was people who passionately understood and cared mm. for the person that, you know, that was broken, you know, the, fragment, the fragmentation of the person that was standing in front of them. Mm. You, you could see that, you know, I remember one girl told a story to, 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 a, to a very young girl. She was a nurse. She told a story to a very young girl who was still struggling a couple of weeks after she came in. And this girl was struggling with the fact that she didn't feel any hope. And, and so this nurse, you know, gave her this talk and said, you know what we do when we first meet you? Inside us, we carry a very bright, bright torch. And that torch is called hope. And we carry that for you until we know that you'll start to be able to carry it for yourself. And that's what we do here. We're carrying a torch for you. We know you're going to get better. You've just got to believe it. And eventually that hope will come to you as well. And, you know, and, and that's... That was the compassion, the compassionate understanding of all elements that makes up a person who has been so broken through underlying issues that lead them to, you know, self-medicate on a substance. Mm. And, you know, there are places in New Zealand like that that are still, you know, still running like that. You know, Capri, Capri Sanctuary opened up and, you know, there are definitely, I only comment on places that I know about. I don't comment on places that I don't. Same here. Um, and I think there's, that what is good in such a place, Capri was outstanding because after a while I realised that virtually everyone who was helping me had been an addict themselves. Yeah. They yeah. all had their own stories. They all yeah. had been there. It didn't matter if it was the yoga instructor who was teaching us yoga in the afternoon or the nurses that were looking after us or you name it, the caseworkers, they were all addicts yeah, and yeah, they were yeah, all yeah. living a different life now. Yeah, they yeah. modeled to us that. Yeah. And Guy Smith, he was, he is such an outstanding man. I remember him second Saturday, he said, look, Stefan, uh, we two go for a coffee. I want you to meet someone. And I thought, okay. And that was bizarre. And so, okay, well, he took me into his, his flash car. We were driving to a cafe uh, somewhere in another suburb of, of Auckland. And in that cafe, I met a colleague. And that colleague I had known from the pain field. We were, we were both, uh, yeah, we knew each other very well. And, and there was a certain, you know, my peer kind of a thing. We were both respecting each other. But... I was gobsmacked when I heard his history and mm. his background. And then Guy just said, hey, come on, I'll let you be here for half an hour, three quarters of an hour. I pick you back up. Then he fucked off. Mm. And there I was. And it was such a beautiful thing. It was for me the realization that I'm not alone, mm. that I, yeah. that that I'm not alone, that there are many others like me, doctors, and, and for you guys out there, it's the same message. Whatever you think, however unique you think you are in your suffering and in your shame and in your guilt, um, a good place like Capri will show you that you're not alone, that it's actually quite normal out there, that one in three people suffer from chemical addiction. And that despite of the fact that 95% of us addicts want to pretend that there's nothing wrong with us, we strongly believe that there's nothing wrong with us, 
those five percent who actually get their shit together and are beginning to to accept what is happening and get the right help we go to such wonderful places it's amazing and that saturday i saw that i saw that for the first time and i had hope the hope that was really what i had been missing and now here I was suddenly coming home from that coffee meeting and saying, wow, okay, there's shitloads of work to be done, but there is hope. And that was a beautiful revelation that I had there and then. And maybe that was, that was one of the, the breaking moments for me that I actually then really started buying in uh, into the possibility that there is a life out there a successful life, both for me as a doctor, as a man, etc. And now I prove here, sitting here doing this interview with you today, I prove that that recovery is not only possible, is it can be expected with the right inputs. So beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So we both spent 28 days in this beautiful bubble of 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 capri because that was what it was uh it was it was heaven on earth and we were both treated uh, like human beings we go both got through our detox we started clearing up our heads suddenly started to see little things changing in us and there we were 28 days later graduating uh on a nice wednesday evening um when there is typically a, a meeting where relatives can come in uh if they live in auckland and uh it's a graduation ceremony and and it was it was just beautiful it was uh an achievement I got goosebumps just thinking about yeah. that actually this this was this was a lovely celebration and again it showed that capri was not just looking at addiction, it was looking at mental health, but then it was looking and providing for the relatives, for That's the right. loved ones out there. Yeah. Uh, it, so uh, it was, that is what every, every rehab should be, or should at least strive to be. Sometimes yeah. there are restraints yeah. and you can't, you can't do all the bells and whistles, but that is, uh, I hope you can see by, by the passion in my eyes, that this is what works this is what is great mm -hmm. and all all those colleagues out there who are providing such services my heart goes out to you because you guys are my heroes you guys are literally saving lives you, you might save more lives than than many doctors do in their lifetime and then you know it is i take my hat off to, to those people out there. And those people who, who maybe are involved in treatment services and doing maybe starting out and, and thinking they're doing the right job, maybe take, take, take heart to what we are saying and say, wow, actually they're right. Maybe, maybe we can add on services or add on certain aspects to the care that we deliver to our addicts to make it a little bit more likely for them to succeed. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, no, it's beautiful. Mm. And then at some stage, you actually come to a point where suddenly you are a bit more outspoken and you're actually starting to give back. When did that start happening with you? Uh, 
I mean, I, I spent 14 months, the first 14 months going on, like you, you know, I, I did that 28 days. And then my clinician, Brent, you know, said to me, suggested to me that it wasn't wise that I head home. So I ended up staying in Auckland. Uh, with, the, with his help, I, I got a place to stay with a couple that I really got on with and stayed in Auckland for the next, I, for what I thought the next six months a year. Mm. And I daily went to outpatient programs. Mm. So I daily had connection with Capri. Um, and, and that was a great, that was a big part of my being able to maintain my sobriety in the early days where strength may have been a great thing. But, um, you know, I was actually more needing more really good support and connection. Uh, at about the 14-month mark, I decided that, you know, I was, I was obviously clearly staying in Auckland that I'd start looking for work. And I just happened to mention it to Dale, who was the CEO, Guy's son, uh, that, that, you know, I had a job interview the next day. And, and that night I went home and um, and he phoned me and, and, offered, and offered me a job. And so... Long story short, I, I was employed by Capri, and, and so I then went on to the other side of things, and and you know gratefully had a lot of training, um, was able to do a lot of courses, listen to how uh, the other side of this worked, and then use my own individual personality to do what was done for me, and that was to give people hope, and help people give people courage that, you know, this is the place for you. It worked for me. You know, it can work for you if you want it hard enough, if you want it bad enough. And and that's what I did for the next two, two and a bit years uh, until Capri Hospital closed. I, I worked for them and, and loved it. I think I probably would have, I have a feeling I probably would have stayed there um, for a very long time doing what I was doing because they gave me free reign. Mm. They knew that I had good communication skills from my from my old from my old life, and I was able to say uh, exactly what I wanted on the phones. You know, people <laughs> would be saying to me, oh, it's, you know, I don't know if I'm ready, and, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, call me when you are. You know, hey, listen, you might have a million excuses in your book. Don't we all? Mm. When you stop with those excuses, give me a call again. We might talk some more. I just didn't take shit, you know, yeah. and, and I think by that, uh, you know, look, I, I know where you're coming from. You know, I, I know what you're saying, but this just at the end of the day, is this is this making you any? Is this making you feel any better? Uh, you know, are you getting the help that you need? I believed in what I was doing, so I was able to do it, and I was able to do a good job and do it well. And so that's yeah, that was the, the next couple of years of my life until until Capri, you know, the bomb dropped really, and and we were given you know, six weeks' notice that we were closing. Um, and, you know, it, it was it was their decision. Um, uh, and much, much respect to them in regards to that. They decided that um, the time had come for them to, to, to you know, retire. And they'd done, their, they'd done 17 years of this. So, so then I was in a position of, like, okay, what next? Indeed. It was such a shame that uh, Capri had to close, but at the same token, I very much understand Guy. There is a natural order to things, and as you say, 17 years is a long time to run such a rehab hospital. And uh, I mean, it's nice to to see nowadays that uh, the, the 
that there is that the phoenix has died, but a new phoenix, a little phoenix, has, has arisen from the ashes. Uh, Brent, guys, son, uh, is uh, has in, has. Uh, established a smaller version of that in a beautiful countryside of, of outside of Auckland. Um, it's Capri Respite, isn't it? Uh, Capri no, Sanctuary. Sanctuary, Capri thank Sanctuary. you. Yeah, Capri yeah. Sanctuary. So, and indeed, four, four places there at the moment. And again, similar to, to, to what you had described and, and how Capri was a bit, it's basically a house where, where uh, people are living together and are learning to live a new life whilst they're getting the expert input. So it's beautiful mm -hmm. to see that, mm -hmm. that it, a new version of it is, is coming up and, and is there to help people so it's beautiful. But here you were, uh, it was, uh, your old life had finished, uh, the, the real old life. You had started to build this new life. And then suddenly there was the stumbling stone. Oh, by the way, uh, no more job. So how did that continue then? So how did you reinvent yourself? Yeah, so I think the passion was there to carry on doing what I was doing, and 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 that was through my own experience and 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 knowledge of uh, of addiction. Um, although we're all individual, how we arrive at that door, we're all very much the same once we've arrived there, and we're all needing you know help <laughs> and, and professionalism yeah. and connection to to get us to the other side to to where we want to head towards. I always say, you know, it's heading towards a life that you're truly destined to have. Uh, so I, I decided, well, you know, I can do this. Uh, just how do I do it? So I set up a company uh, that I called Seeking Solace. And I started by just one person at a time, uh, getting the individual, understanding what they needed to meet um, to, to you know, to meet their needs and, and getting the right treatment for, for their underlying issues and, and mm. things like that. And I sought out different treatment centres overseas. Firstly, Melbourne. I went to uh, flew to Melbourne and, and went and sat in this treatment centre in this rehab for a week. Um, after actually going through a number of other treatment centres and, and sort of dismissing them. Mm. Uh, all because I wanted to find the same programs that were running very similar to Capri's, mm. the same program that helped get me well. Mm. I wanted to find those other programs, hence why I went overseas to find them. Evidence-based programs um, that offered a really good foundation for getting you through your underlying issues, uh, you know, as well, acknowledging your addiction, but getting you through the underlying mm. issues. So good, good clinicians, good um, professional uh, therapists and clinicians. I found that in Melbourne, and within a week, I, I had my first client. She was a policewoman who had heard about me, um, and I never looked back. I, I've worked, I've worked on my own now for four and a half years. Mm. Um, after Melbourne, there was they also opened a sister clinic in the Gold Coast, so I started taking people there. I look into the to the individual. I look into what their needs are. I look into the clinicians and the clinics that have good therapy. I look into the cost, uh, and and I look into where the family connection can be very much involved with it as well. So I call myself a navigator. I navigate people from where they are to where they want to go. 
and I include all the families in the, in the navigation. Um, I, I, I literally, if somebody comes to me and says, oh, I need help, I'm ready. I go, well, let's go. Mm. <laughs> you know, I send them the full, the full details of, of what clinic I'm using at the moment. And literally, I, within days, I'm on a plane with them. And in the last number of years, that's been to Thailand. Mm. Uh, there's been very good Western-operated clinics over there that have really good programs running, mm. very good team of clinicians from around the world. Nice. And, uh, and, and money-wise, it, it's, it's really affordable mm. compared to, to a lot of private facilities. Yeah. Can you give us an idea of what, let's say, four weeks uh, in Thailand at one of the facilities would cost? So for five weeks, which was their minimum, mm -hmm. five weeks, uh, I feel like I'm handing you something I'm about to take it back because all these places are closed at the moment. Oh, of course, but, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but for five weeks, um, airfares, insurance, um, me taking you there, um, involving all the families throughout the process and then bringing you home. Mm. And then years after care uh, was $19,000. That's nothing. That's nothing. No. If you think about it, that would be your bill for alcohol for a year. That's it. Okay. It, it, uh, it, it, would, it would also be around about the cost of your funeral. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you go. You can choose alcohol or funeral or actually investment in your life and getting yeah. on with it but you yeah. you pay the same your choice yeah. where you go yeah so yeah. you try you're absolutely right um i always keep saying the the twenty seven thousand that we have paid um yeah. for my month there was the best investment i've ever ever yeah. ever done yeah. into my yeah. life so yeah yeah, it costs you to get better, but it also costs you to have a funeral, and it costs you to have a uh, to keep drinking, so yeah. or using yeah. all that. So cool, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Yeah. But you're right, yeah. of course. Right now is COVID. Right now is the world has changed in 2020, and irreversibly there will yeah. be a new life coming yeah. out. Uh, yeah. How that will be is is difficult to say. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, Having said that, whilst there are not the places overseas now, um, it there are there is still the hope there, because you are a merchant or navigator of hope. That's how we should call you, the navigator of hope, because you can you can you can bring people together, you bring networks together to actually tailor make a solution for your client. Yeah. or your patient yeah. and that yeah. is such a unique thing because yeah. you have seen the bad things you know how yeah. to assess the good things yeah. yeah that's that's where your story is so strong because mm -hmm. you have you haven't just read about it have you you lived it you uh, been there done that vomited on the t-shirt okay so yeah. yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the way to put it yeah yeah so no, mean, please yeah, that, that that I think is, um, you know, I don't do what I do for the for for the financial gain because there there isn't a lot in that. Um, I I I just can't. I mean, I, I write about three or four. Or I write about a number of people in my book because they gave me permission to write these stories. Um, but you know, I I cannot put into words what it feels like to see a person who has been so broken and the family and, and the children of that family mm. be so broken, come to me, trust me, 
and let me guide them to a place that's going to help them and let me bring them home and stay in their lives forever after. Uh, I, I can't put into words what that actually feels. And so although I'll never be rich by what I do, I, I live such an unbelievably fulfilled life because I'm able to show other people how to get life back again, you know. And, you know, all of these people that I've worked with over the years, I remain in touch with every single one of them. Wow. Um, you know, I, I know their life stories. I know where the, their life was. I know where their life's gone. And um, that is um, it's an unbelievable feeling um, to, to be able to, out of the ashes of what, what was my history of alcoholism and addiction and, and, and my underlying issues that I can individually help change somebody else's life and into, into where they want to be going to, to the person they want to be. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 and it's a wonderful job. It's, uh, I, I operate under my own steam, so I can say exactly what I want when I want to. <laughs> with you know with always you know that person's well-being in mind but I've got somebody coming up with a mile of excuses why they can't do it you know I, I'm, I'm just very upfront and, and um and, and no holes barred and that, that seems to work for people I just don't take bullshit I, I know the excuses I, I've written a book about the excuses <laughs> I literally you have you can't bullshit a bullshitter that's our strength. And that was the strength yeah. of Capri because these were all, these were people who had been there, who had heard it all because they had yeah. said it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As, oh, you just, you just, uh, you know, I think it's because you, you, you can be so real about it. Oh. But yeah, what, what a lucky person I am, that, you know, being able to have created this, this, this company for myself and, and work it. Um, mm. Yeah, so so hence I've been spending a lot of time in Thailand over the last number of years. Um, beautiful, mm. beautiful, mm. and some and and again, there is this kind of bubble that you're creating. There's yeah. this kind yeah. of of uh, all encompassing, taking you out of your not so nice life, putting you into a setting that is very different, and allowing you to heal, and mm. allowing mm. you to develop that glimmer of hope. And there are far worse settings than Thailand where you can do that. But I don't care if it is Alaska or, or Antarctica where you put me. If you can transplant that glimmer of hope into my soul, I would take it. And That's right. Uh, okay, it is whatever needs to happen needs to happen. But as an addict, you don't know what needs to happen. So therefore, if you guys feel that you're willing to make a change and Denise reverberates with you and, and she resonates with you, then guys, get in touch with her. Denise, what are the best ways of getting in touch with you? Well, um, through my email, um, seeking, Denise at seekingsouls.co.nz. I do have to say at the moment, due to COVID, I've had to pause. Mm. Um, mm. You know, uh, 2020 has changed a lot of things and, mm. and I feel yep. I, hence actually probably the reason for the book you know it's a long story I won't go into it but I was back in New Zealand very briefly when the COVID bells started ringing here they'd already you know had a big bang happening over 
where I was, mm. Southeast Asia, but uh, I cut my trip home short and jumped on a plane and, and only just got back into Thailand mm. um, and, and remained there because I had two two clients in treatment at the time. The treatment centre closed and, and, and I pulled them out and created a mini treatment centre in lockdown uh, in my home in Thailand. And, and those two <laughs> remained with me for about six months. <laughs> you know, so... Bloody hell. Yeah, I just brought the therapist in, yeah. you know, because all of a sudden everyone's out of work. The therapist and the yoga, you know, instructor and massage, you know, and, and a clinical, an amazing clinical um, practitioner, Dr. Jones, who I've been working with for the last three years. He would, he then came in on Zoom meetings for my clients, you know, every second day. And so we, we created our own little mini rehab. Brilliant. Uh, after we finally got got the got one of the clients home um to New Zealand seven months later um there is actually nothing I could do to help people anymore I'm I'm for the first time in my life caught in a position that I can advise people but I can't travel anywhere anywhere anybody anywhere in the world um and, and hence we've got a problem back here in New Zealand where um you know, the, the treat, you know, Capri Sanctuary, for instance, I mean, that yes, are available, uh, which I, I highly recommend. Um, but um, I don't know enough about any of the other rehabs. They're, they're popping up all the time. Um, so I, I don't, I haven't looked into them. But as far as public is concerned, we've got a six to eight month waiting list. Mm to go to places with a chance of 3% success rate. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, so um, for now, for 2021, I'm actually stepping back mm. from my role as a navigator. My company's never going to stop. Mm. As soon as borders open up again, um, I'm already in the process of talking to, to clinics that are, are going to rest, restart. 2021, though, is on hold uh, and, and until we can travel as so much in this world is. But then again, this is a blessing in disguise because here you feel your passion inside yourself and this passion wants to come out. So suddenly your brain comes up with new ideas of collaboration yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, with others, like for example, writing your book, like you coming yeah. onto my show, all these kind of yeah. things. So we are yeah. creating out of necessity networks yeah. that have never been in existence before. Yeah, so therefore, this, this is so beautiful. So mm. let's make this happen. Let's go out there. Mm. Let's change lives. Let's actually, mm. let's actually be the merchants of hope mm. to those people mm. that need to hear it. Mm. And this world bloody well needs to hear that mm. there is hope. Okay. So mm. now let's, there is, that is not the last time that we've heard from you, Denise. And that is not the last time that two of us have collaborated. Denise, I'm so grateful for you coming onto my show today. This was a beautiful to celebrate you and to celebrate your achievements because you. You, your story is so, so beautiful and it's, it shows such a, such a transformation from Death's Door to nowadays being this ball of energy, helping others. Um, I'm so pleased for you and you guys out there if Muppets like Denise and me can get our shit together, then come on, come on, there is hope for you. Honestly, trust me, there is hope, okay? There is hope, there's always hope.
Indeed. Yes. Denise, thank you so much. And Th you thank guys, you, Stefan. An absolute pleasure. And you guys out there, look out for yourself. Bye. Bye.